Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. church and uh, good morning once again to those who have joined us on live stream. I must tell you that as I come and stand here and especially after hearing the last carol that was sung, you stand with mixed emotions. It's, it's on one side I'm excited to hear the carol being sung and it just brings back good old memories. At the same time, it is sad that we cannot gather in person to, to celebrate this, uh, this great season. I know we have entered into Advent season, a time to reflect on who Jesus is in a very personal way. Now, every carol you sing and every sermon that you hear, and it always portrays this Christ of Christmas and the purpose why He came to this world. But today, this morning, I want us to see this Christ of Christmas through the eyes of Prophet Isaiah. And to see him as a deliverer, the one who delivers us, the one who revives us, the one who restores us, the one in whom we can place our hope to enrich our lives here on earth and the hope for eternity, to see how we can overcome our day-to-day challenges, our struggles, our temptations, to know that we can definitely live a victorious life in the midst of the storms that we face daily. So this message, I may say, is primarily for those of us who have professed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the message also will help those who do not know Christ to know who He is and to understand He is the one who delivers the wretched sinners. Now, church, truth be told, every one of us, here and who are listening, we are all struggling with sins. Some of our sins are very evident and some are very secret. It's hidden in the secret closet of our lives. But the sins we commit in life have a way of showing back up in our families sometimes. We should know that we cannot push our sins under the rug, nor can we belittle the seriousness of this, of these sins. The Lord is very clear in warning us, listen to this, He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Not just every act, evil act, but every careless word they speak. And Moses wants this, He says this in Numbers, we find, Take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you. Your sin will find you. So the consequences of sins are inevitable. Every act of sin has a consequence. Now, this was the case of King David. He was a fallen believer. Of course, he was restored. So just to give you a context, after David took Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed, things quickly 
went downhill for him. Now David's oldest son, Ammon, had fallen in love with his sister Tamar, so he pretended to be sick, and he lured Tamar into his bedroom where he raped her. This is David's son. Two years later, Absalom, David's third oldest son, he killed Ammon. Now because of this, Absalom had to run for his life. Now, Absalom considered himself as the next in line of succession. He was going to take off from David. But David informed that Solomon would succeed him. So naturally, Absalom was, was scheming to overthrow his father as a king. Now, David got the wind of it. He heard from, from people, and he got his officials together, and they fled Jerusalem. Yes, the great King David, the one who conquered Goliath, the one who overcame the lion and the, and the bear, is now running away from his own son, fearing for his own safety. I want to place, uh, you to place yourself in the position of David. What would you do? David was so devastated, facing the threat from his own son, he made the plea to the Lord while he was running from Absalom. Look at the screen. In Psalm 3, verse 1, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. In other words, David, for the way that you have behaved, God will not deliver you. Then in verse number 7 and 8 of the same one, David says, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. So now David is making a statement of faith. God, I want you to deliver me, and you are able to deliver me. And we know the end of the story and how David was delivered and he was restored. But church, I want us to understand, we inherit our traits, our behavior, our mannerisms from our parents and our grandparents and the environment in which we grew up. We can trace our physical features, our strengths, and our weaknesses through the family line. We can also observe character traits and spiritual influences that span generations. I want you to understand your domestic environment in which you grow up determines the type of person you would become. I have witnessed this as a pastor. I visited a home about 30 plus years ago and there was a father who got so angry with the child who pulled his son and he was tying the child to the chair, and he was about to whack him. So I stopped and asked him, I said, what are you doing? You know what his response was? This is how my father disciplined me. Then I was counseling a couple way back when, and, and the boy struggled a lot with trust issues. So therefore, he started to mistreat the girl badly, and it affected her emotionally. And in a further examination, I realized 
that this boy's father was very suspicious of his mother, that he often abused her. And as a child, he grew up in such a home. And about 10, 15 years ago, there was a child in the Sunday school. They were playing games, and, and the child was pushed, and the child got angry and shouted out in filth. And later I realized that was the language of our home. Our environment in which we grow up influence our behavior. Church, you may be seeing yourself as I speak about this, a radical, intentional heart change alone can break this fetter. The bondage of sin that you are entangled with can only be overcome when there is a radical, intentional heart change. So in, a, in one of my counseling sessions, uh, someone asked me this question, Pastor, is the generational curse real? Why is Exodus in 34 chapter, verse 7, we says, the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This worries me, Pastor, because my family has some skeletons in the closet. And sometimes I think past sins are playing out again. Does God hold me responsible for something that someone else did? Church, we have two great biblical examples where the influence of the forefathers affected the generations to come. Take Abraham, for example. In the biblical account of Abraham's family, the iniquity of deception became a stronghold that affected the lives of not only Abraham, but Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's sons. You know Abraham's deception on the identity of Sarah, just so that he'll be safe. And later on, you'll see in Genesis 26, Isaac followed Abraham's example and lied about the identity of his wife, Rebekah. And in the next generation to come, the lies were directed toward immediate family members. Now, where we see Rebekah and her son, Jacob, schemed to deceive Isaac into giving second-born Jacob the first-born blessing, isn't it? And later we see, decades later, Jacob's sons deceived Jacob concerning the welfare of his son Joseph. So in these examples, we can clearly see how the iniquity of deception was taken up by one generation after another, deepening and becoming more desperate throughout years. But on the other hand, I want you to get this. Take Timothy, for example, in the New Testament. The New Testament example of Louis and Eunice and Timothy, it demonstrates the richness of a heritage of faith, isn't it? We see the same thing there, but just the opposite. So a godly heritage offers a sturdy foundation of virtue and faithfulness. An ungodly heritage offers a shaky foundation of deeds such as anger, lust, suspicion, bitterness, as and set destructive patterns. Now, we, we begin to see life through the lenses that we have been brought up with. 
our anger, our malicious thinking, our perception of others, our misery, our frustration. Sadly, you can see that even within the Christian community, within believers. So I'm asking the believers a question. Why are you feeling this way? If the scripture is true and if you believe as a child of God, in his presence there is fullness of joy, then where is the inner joy in life's challenges? When the Lord says very clearly, he, this is a promise he gives in John 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. Jesus further says, we say that, I have told you these things that, so that in me you may have peace. Why are you so anxious about circumstances of life? Where is your peace? The Lord says that peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Then further Jesus says, you do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Why aren't you bearing fruits? These are very legitimate questions that we should ask to ourselves as believers. So the question is, Pastor, then how do I come out of these besetting sins? Church, besetting sins are the ones that we continually struggle and we have weakness towards it. And we are naturally inclined towards it. Every one of us, we, have, we suffer with besetting sins. They constantly struggle with, and whether it is gossiping, lying, lose one's temper, and lust, the list can go on. Every one of us struggle with that, in one form or the other. None of us should view this as an irreversible curse. Let's say you have grown up in a home where alcoholism, drinking, has been a habit. You should not think that this is an irreversible curse. If there is abuse, you must not think that this is irreversible curse. So spiritual deliverance, church, is available to everyone who sincerely calls upon the name of the Lord. That's why in Romans 10, 13, Paul says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is a solution in Christ. And the Hebrew writer says this, look at the passage here. He says, let us lay aside every weight to the believers. Put aside every weight and let us run with endurance Oh, sorry, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews is, is an exhortation to the believers. Put aside, lay aside every way the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let's run with endurance. Church, when we are downcast with the burden of these besetting sins, since we have been bearing from our ancestors, since we have not dealt with, when the besetting sins are weighing us down, we naturally 
feel unworthy in the presence of God. We can put up a show outside. We can portray to be the most holy person. But we feel unworthy in the presence of God. On the one side, the Holy Spirit is telling you, you ain't be doing this. But on the other side, your flesh is urging you to embrace it. And you are too weak to give it up or to overcome. So what do we want? We want deliverance. We want revival. We want renewal. We want to break free. So we feel so wretched that we are losing the joy in His presence. We are losing the peace. We are losing the zeal. We continue struggling with fleshly lust. And while knowing to do good, we always do it as well as we wanted to. That's exactly what Paul said. I want to do good, but I can't. The things I don't want to do are the things that I'm doing. We need deliverance. But church, I'm here to give you good news. We can overcome this. Yes, it starts with you. Do not yield to the pattern of your forefathers' lifestyle. Do not blame your ancestors for your ungodly behavior. Let the bug stop here with you. Begin a new godly heritage. For we have our deliverer who is willing and able to restore you. And not only you, your children and your children's children. So one of the blessings we see to the one who fears the Lord, look at this passage, if you fear the Lord, this is what we find in Psalm 122, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. You may not feel that you are mighty in the land, but you can make your children to be mighty in the land. You can make the generation of the upright to be blessed. Do you want this to be true for yourself? So be the one to make the change today. So you might say, Pastor, it's very soothing to hear this message. But so how do I change, Pastor? I am weak, I am feeble, I am unworthy to serve, unable to overcome my temptation. So as David, the great man that you can learn, it's great to do a case study, a, a character study on David. You learn valuable lessons as David picked up the pieces of his life. A nearly perfect life. This is what David says. Look at this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The same David who was in struggle and who was wandering and whom, to whom people said, God may not deliver you. He's saying, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. See what David says about a man who is right with God. He is the blessed one. Now, one of the messianic prophecies of Isaiah, it gives us great hope and comfort to know that this deliverance comes from the Christ of Christmas. As we look at this passage of Scripture that we are going to do today, 
we would see that this Christ of Christmas is the mighty deliverer who would forgive our transgressions, who would revive us and restore us no matter how broken a believer we are today. The key text for today is Isaiah 42 verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. There are two idioms we need to understand. They will bring comfort when we are disappointed in ourselves. A true believer church will be disappointed in him when in him or her when he or she are, yields to the besetting sins. But I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 42. We are going to look at four verses this morning. Let me give you a context here so that you understand. Isaiah is writing to the chosen people of God. That is to, to God's children. So basically the message is for us. To God's people when, when God's people and the nation of Judah was very prosperous. People forget about God because they were so involved in the things of the world. The rich people lived in luxury and idleness and poor suffered from lack of food and clothing. Many people were drunkards. And the government at that time, officials were corrupt. They used their officers to oppress the poor. Even the prophets failed to do the job God has given them. Instead of rebuking sin and delivering God's message, they preached what the people wanted to hear. Hear what? Prosperity. And that's what you're seeing even today. It sounds very familiar, isn't it? That's the environment we are in. So the passage we are going to look at is a messianic prophecy, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, looking at both advents in view. The first advent and the second advent. Let's dive into the text, and we are going to read verse number one. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. So it begs the question, who is he talking about? Who is Prophet Isaiah talking about here? We see the same narrative recorded in Matthew chapter 12. The context in Matthew is this. Now Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath inside a synagogue. And Pharisees went out and plotted against him. So now Jesus was speaking about the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy at that time. And he was quoting this particular verse. That's what you're seeing in Matthew chapter 12. So the first word that we see here is behold. The Lord calls to all the people, the people of Israel and the coastlands everywhere, behold. He tells them to behold. Behold simply means, church, to pay careful attention to what is to follow. That's what it means. Listen. Fix your eyes upon this because this is very important. And I want to tell you, church, behold, because this message is very important for every one of us. In here, those who are listening on, on live stream, behold. Second verse, it says, my servant. The Hebrew word is Ibed means it's a slave. 
And we know that Jesus himself says that just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the servant. He came to serve. The next verse that you see here is, whom I uphold. It is the picture of God the Father leaning upon God the Son, counting upon him and trusting him to fulfill his purpose. Whom I uphold. I am trusting him to fulfill the purpose. And then he says, my elect one. At the transfiguration on the mount, we hear that there's a voice that came and in Luke, Luke 9, a voice came out of the clouds and this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Who is he referring to? Jesus. Then he says, in whom my soul delights. Again, at the baptism of Jesus. And suddenly a voice came from heaven and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Again, referring to whom? Jesus. And then we see, I have put my spirit upon him. And we see that in, again in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was speaking in the synagogue, this is what he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, so set, set a liberty those who are oppressed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is speaking about him in the synagogue. Now, after speaking of the identity of Christ of Christmas, now, Isaiah goes on to say in the next verse what this Christ of Christmas would do. Look at this. He says, he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. I told you this is a messianic prophecy of the first advent and the second advent. What you are looking at here is the second advent. Christ will rule over a, over a kingdom in which justice prevails throughout the world. The millennial kingdom, not for Israel alone. Though Messiah will reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem, but that rule is for the entire nation. All the nations of the world will experience the righteousness and justice of the Messiah King. That is what you are seeing in verse number one. Let's move on to verse number two. It says, he will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus never spoke loudly. I don't want you to get that picture. It refers to his gentle spirit, his lowly heart, and the way that he went about doing things. The three verbs here are cumulative as you look at this. Cry out. Mean could suggest that he is not out to startle people and raise his voice in not to dominate or shout others down. Jesus never did that. Or cause his voice to be heard. Not out to advertise himself. Jesus never did that. And in the first Advent church, the quiet and submissive demeanor of Christ actually fulfill this prophecy as we look at this. Even from his birth to his death and resurrection, he did not seek people's attention. 
and he never got even with people who came on his path. And Peter says this, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges rightly. So he will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we are moving on to the verse number three, our key text verse. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. Now Isaiah goes on to tell the children of God what the Messiah would do to his people who were broken, crying for restoration. That's why he started off by telling, are you crying for restoration today? Because of your sin, because of the sins that you have inherited from your, grandfather, from your forefathers. So in this verse that we see, there are two idioms were used, the bruised reed and the smoking flax. Let's break it down now. The reed. Reeds are very common in the Middle East. They can grow up to a 12 feet height. When they are freshly cut, they are flexible, but they are very strong. When they are dried, they are stiff and they are very strong. They are used for a variety of purposes. Very important for us to understand this. They are used as a walking stick or sometimes for musical instruments, flute, or as a fisherman's spear. Reeds are actually a picture of the people of the Lord. Now, when we are functioning as we should be, we are useful to Him in His kingdom, like the reed, how it was useful. Because we are saved to do what? To serve. We are saved to serve. Paul writes to the saints in Ephesus, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why you are saved. Again, Paul says to the saints in Corinth, he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is, is, is given to each one for the profit of all. If those believers were given the gifts of the Spirit for the profit of all. Why? Because we are called to serve. Now, this reed is not just reed here, but as you look at it, it says bruised reed. The word bruised means to be broken, to be crushed, to be crushed to pieces. It's a picture of weakness. The bruised reed has lost its strength, its stability, and its soundness. A bruised reed is unreliable, is unusable, unusable. So as you see this term, broken reed or bruised reed, we see that being used previously in the Scriptures as well, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 36. Look at this passage. Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Let me give you the context here. Assyria was taunting Judah over an alliance they had with Egypt. So this reed was something relied upon, but in this particular case, Judah relying on Egypt to save them from Assyria. But, here's the problem. God is warning them. 
warning the children of Judah and telling them, do not lean on Egypt because it was a bruised reed. And what would the bruised reed do? Look at the passage. It says, if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So a, a bruised reed or a broken reed must be thrown away. It'll only hurt you. It'll harm you. It'll never help you. Against the best thing to do with such a reed is to break it and to trash it. A Bruce Reed believer is not usable to the Lord. Everything about his life will be lacking. His music won't be right. He will have no power. He can't be a weapon in the hand of the Lord. His fragrance will no longer be the scent of heaven. It will be a stench of sin. As Bruce Reed, should we be broken into half and trash? You think so? No. We are Bruce Reed, of course. But we don't want to be trashed and thrown away. The Bruce Reed applies to people who are conscious of feebleness and sin. Church, I'm talking to believers who are caught in these sins. None of you can say that you don't feel the consciousness, the, the awareness of the sin that you are involved in. I'm not saying you are sin-free. But the guilt is always there because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are moved and broken by calamity of life and you feel that you have no strength to bear up against the ills of life. You feel helpless. It is only a broken reed. It is not entirely broken off. Now, as we saw earlier, when you look at this passage here, going back to the passage, it says, a bruised reed, what, what will the God not do? He will not break the Bruce Reed. But we saw earlier in his command to the children of Israel, referring to Egypt, he said, do not rely on it, but cast it. But here in Isaiah's passage, we see Jesus, our deliverer, will not cast out the Bruce Reed. He will not break it. Because he is our deliverer. He will not do that. I know that his people, that you and I are broken reeds. We are damaged by sin, by bad habits, by selfishness, by weaknesses. We are trapped in generational curse and habits. Yet, regardless of the failure, Jesus, the Christ of Christmas, whom prophet Isaiah is talking about, will not break any bruise reed. That should Give us hope. Even though he can't always rely on us to do the right thing, he will not break us. We know great examples of the Bible. We know Peter acted as a hypocrite and Paul had to rebuke him while he was eating. And we don't know how Peter reacted. It must have hurt him badly. But Jesus never broke the Bruce Reed. He restored Peter. David failed miserably. He was a murderer, an adulterer. The Lord restored David, 
a Bruce Reed that was restored. And later he was known as the man after God's own heart. This church is the work of our Messiah, the mighty deliverer. This is how Luther has well expressed this. This is what Luther says. He does not cast away, nor crush, nor condemn the wounded in conscience. Those who are terrified in view of their sins, the weak in faith and practice. Then Luther continues to say, but he watches over, cherishes them, makes them whole, and affectionately embraces them. That is what we learn by, 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 by this phrase here, a Bruce Reed, he will not break. Jesus understands the Bruce Reed. He was bruised for our iniquities. In other words, he was bruised on behalf of those who are bruised by sin. He will not despise. No matter how many times, church, with true repentance, you can always have a new beginning. It can be a new day. All is forgiven. All is forgotten. The Lord will have an affectionate regard for the brokenhearted, the humble, the penitent, and the afflicted. Now let us see the next one, the smoking flex. Flex is a delicate plant and it is gathered and dried and turned into thread from which linen clothes can be woven. In the ancient Egyptians cultivated flax for linen. Rahab had flax drying on the roof of her house. Linen was used to make priest's clothing and for sails and robes and nets. Now he's talking about the smoking flax. Look at this. The smoking flax is a reference to the wick of a lamp. The lamps of ancient times were made of clay and filled with oil, olive oil. The wick for such a lamp was a few strands of flax fiber or twisted cotton thread. Now when he says smoking means it's dim, it's dull, it's faint. So this is a picture of a wick that has dried out. There is no oil and the flame is nearly extinguished. There's little or no light, thus there is no usefulness to this smoking flax. It has lost its lights, its glory. It is unusable. It is actually an idiom for an untrimmed land. It's casting a dim light. It irritates the eyes and nose with smoke. I'm sure sometimes you have seen this, even in your homes with the candle. It irritates your eyes and, and, and nose with smoke. The best thing to do with, for such a situation is to put it out, isn't it? To quench it. Because a smoking flax believer is not usable either. When we are out of God's will, our light will be very dim. We may throw off a lot of smoke, but that will be the energy out of the flesh. Not from the spirit. Not from your heart. And the smoke does not equal light. When we are zealous and holy, when we have the right relationship with the Lord, the light does indeed shine brightly. Think of your first love. I'm not talking about your partners. I'm talking about your first love with the Lord. 
When we are discouraged and when we sin and fall apart, our light dims and smokes. Yet the Bible says, Jesus will continue to use the smoking flax. The promise that he will not extinguish or quench means that he would cherish, feed and cultivate it. He would supply it with grace and as with oil and cherish the dying flame and cause it to enkindle and to rise with a high and steady brilliance. Of course he did that to me during my dark days, church. He did not quench the smoking flax in my life. But he supplied his grace. He cherished the dying flame. He caused it to be enkindled. Allow it to rise again. To, to be the light. And as we look at verse number four in this passage, he will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. He will not fail means he will not grow weak, to grow dim, to falter. You and I will. He will not be discouraged means he will not be crushed. These words fail and discourage translate the same words as smoking and bruised. It's the same thing. Jesus became a bruised reed and a smoking flax for us so that we can be redeemed. Church, our Lord is superior in everything. That nothing would crush him, nothing would stop him, nothing would cause him to fall. He is all-powerful. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. He is the victor over all these things. He gives victory to his people. So church, we don't have to be afraid of the trials, the sorrows, the sins, the enemies and the troubles of this life. None of these things can break us completely or utterly quench our light. Our tender Lord is able to sustain us, support us, and see us through this. Church, I want you to know that God did not save your soul to allow you to be completely broken or to have your light snuffed out along the way. He saved you to do a work of grace in your life that would endure through eternity. He saved with the assurance that he would complete his work in you. That's why we find in the book of Philippians that being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will see to its completion. A Bruce Reed, you're weak, you're nearly broken, unusable in your present condition. I extend my invitation for you to come to our tender Lord right now and let him reinforce you, restore you, repair you. If you are not where God wants you to be, come now. A smoking flax. Your light has grown dim. You are not shining for God anymore. You are still serving the Lord, but it's all smoke and no light. The Spirit of God is in control in your life, in uh, control of you and your life. You are not able to yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Come to the Lord today. He will trim the wick. 
He will put fresh oil in the lamp and he will rekindle the flame once more. He will cause your light to shine brighter than ever. Jesus sees the value of a Bruce Reed even when no one else can. People around you might look at you and ridicule you. People around you might, 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 might question you, your, your walk with the Lord and may, may condemn you and cast you away. But he will not. He will not, the Bible says. You can be a Bruce Reed. You can be a smoking flax. He will not break it. He will not quench it. He can make beautiful music come from a Bruce Reed. And he puts his strength when we put our strength in him. Though we may be smoking flax, Jesus knows it's valuable. For people it may not be. But he will give us a new chance. So many of us are like the Bruce Reed. We need to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And many, some of us are like the smoking flax. We can only bright, burn brightly for the Lord when we are drenched in oil with a constant supply of grace and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So this morning, you may be pressed down with the troubles of this world. You may be struggling with doubt and fear. You may be feeble and disheartened and ready to break. You may be struggling with the besetting sins. You may be a victim of the generational curse. Not able to overcome sinful traits you inherited from your forefathers. But I want you to know this church. Jesus cares. He is our mighty deliverer. He will have pity for the brokenhearted. Compassion for the humble. Affection for the penitent. And healing for the afflicted. So come to him this morning. Trusting in his strength. And find that gracious gift of God. This Christ of Christmas is a mighty deliverer. So in closing, I want us, all of us, who are struggling with this issue of sin, knowing that he is our mighty deliverer, let us echo the prayer of David. As we prepare ourselves for the Christmas season and start a new year in the beginning, let us cry out to the Lord and let us Say this as our prayer. Lord, arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, we come to you with a broken heart. Acknowledging the fact that we are bruised, read. We are the smoking flax. And there are times that we have tried our own best to come out of it. And we realize that we are only doing it in the flesh. And this morning we thank you for revealing to us through your prophet Isaiah that this Christ of Christmas is the mighty deliverer.
is the one who can restore us. The one who will not break the bruised reed. The one who will not quench the smoking flax. Instead, Father, you are the one who would deliver us. And we are crying for deliverance today. We are crying for new leaf to be opened this morning. We are crying that as we enter into this Christmas season, and as we enter into another year, let us enter with that confidence that you are with us and our past sins have been taken away, washed away, and we have been made new, that we will be able to shine for God and we will be able to do the work of the Lord that you have so graciously called us to do with all our hearts, with all our minds, and with all our souls. So help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.